read 1 to 9. Hear us on the Father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I gave you good precepts, do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast to my words, keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get insight, do not forget, do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will keep me. Love her, and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Do you see the main lesson he's teaching his sons here? What's he say? The benefits of wisdom, and therefore, get it. Get it! <laughs> you know, hear the instruction, verse 1, give attention that you may get an understanding, because I'm giving you sound teaching. You know, this is really good stuff, and you need to pay attention to it. You need to receive it, and you need to treasure it, and you need to get it, because it's what's going to help you. Now, if you're taught something, you have an option as to whether or not to receive it or reject it. Teaching and control are two different things. Now, there's a time when children are small where their parents control them. They, they physically discipline, they physically restrain them. You can make a two-year-old behave. You know, I'm not saying that he never goes beyond the bounds, but you can teach him and train him, and he'll do what he should. But as the child gets older, it's not a matter of parental control. You get to the point where you're not even living at home anymore, you're out on your own, your parents are going to spank you when you do something wrong and you're 25 years old. Probably not. You know, uh, are they going to physically restrain you? Probably not. What is going to guide and control you? You're responding. You're having listened to and following their teachings. That's why, from a parent's standpoint, some of you are old enough to think about what you're going to do with your children. That's why, from a parent's standpoint, Teaching is critical. The discipline is important early on, but the discipline won't work for later on. Now, it can train for later on, but it's really going, what's going to happen, what's going to help your 25-year-old is what you taught them and what they've received and listened to. Wise parents don't say to their children, just stay under my authority and protection forever and I'll take care of you. They say to their children, take my wisdom with you. And it will protect you and guide you. As children, we have to listen to wise parents. And learn and govern ourselves by those principles. Now, we are in Proverbs, assuming godly parents. Some of you don't have godly parents. Some of you, your parents are Christians, or they're not strong Christians, and sometimes they may mislead you. I mean, I know some young people whose parents will tell them, you know, to go to wild parties, you know, to pick up wild girls, even, you know, experiment with them, you know, whatever. There are parents that are not wise, that are not pursuing godly uh, goals. And if you have parents like that, look for some substitute fathers and mothers that are Christians that you can listen to and learn from. Many of you, though, have parents who are godly people who are seeking to lead you in right ways. Well, that's what God wants. That is His plan. <laughs> that parents impart wisdom to their children. Now, do you see how it was for Solomon? Verse 3 and 4. What had happened to him? 
And Paul David is teaching him here. Exactly. Remember that every father was once a son, still is a son in some sense. And uh, he himself had learned from his father when he was tender. It says in verse 3, you know, teach children young. You know, when they're tender and moldable. What happens if you wait until a kid is, you know, 15 to start teaching him? He's corrupt. Yeah, he's corrupt and usually rather stubborn. You know, teach him when he's, you know, 15 months or five months or five days. I don't know. I don't think we can start too young. Start teaching children. You know. And, and, and molding them. But do you see what happens here then? You have David teaching Solomon, and Solomon learns from that, together with what other things he's learned from the Lord, and he passes those things on to his son. Every generation ought to make an improvement on the generation before. As the wisdom is passed down and it keeps growing. That, that's the ideal. That's really what God wants in this. And so it's important for Solomon's son to incorporate all this wisdom and then pass it on to his son. Comments and questions on those first four verses? I think it's interesting that it's not something that just happens. It's wisdom that we're going to get. It doesn't come by being passed, but we have to go get it. He says, get wisdom, get understanding. It's not just going to come, but we're going to have to study, we're going to have to pray. When Solomon needed wisdom, he acknowledged that he couldn't get it by himself, so he went to God in prayer and said, help me be the leader of your people and give me the wisdom that I need to do that. So we have to make that effort to go get that wisdom. One of the most important things to teach our children. Get wisdom. Seek it. It's that important. Maybe it was that teaching that David gave Solomon that caused him to make that request. David had taught Solomon prize wisdom above everything. That's what you need to get. God comes to him in a dream and says, what do you want? I'll give you whatever you want. He says, I want wisdom. He'd been well taught, well trained. That's the most important thing. And it is. And you never have enough of it. You always need more. Keep pursuing it. Keep seeking God's wisdom. Keep listening to His word and incorporating it into your life. You just can't. Man, it's so awesome. It helps so much. It gives you life. Verse 4, keep my commandments and live. It gives you security. Verse uh, 6, it'll guard you. It'll watch over you. It gives you honor. Verse 8 and 9. There's so many blessings you get from wisdom. No price is too high. No sacrifice is too great. Get wisdom. Get God's teaching and God's understanding above all things. Why do you need to study the Bible so much? Well, one reason is, it's got God's message, God's wisdom in it, and it's so valuable, you just want to learn it and know it. Get this in your head, and follow it, and it'll help you. That's what Solomon's saying, that's what he heard from David, and that's what he's passing on to his sons. Comments and questions? Then. Typically, for anything, typically for anything valuable, it really takes a lot of time to acquire that thing. Um, you know, you know, we have this idea of having a really nice, fancy car. I mean, we're willing to spend, you know, a lot of time working, you know, or getting money for that car. I mean, we spend tons of time. When we get something as valuable as wisdom, a lot of times we get kind of turned off because it, it takes a long time to acquire that. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of effort, a lot of time and energy to acquire those things. Um, and that's many times perhaps why we aren't so quick to. To what he's going to aim at. Um, we realize that you know it's, it's worth it's more than anything that you know a nice car, or a nice fancy house, or like that. I mean, it, it's something that truly really is worth our time more than anything else. Amen. Well stated. Wow. I just wonder also with some insight to people that he had, evidently with his wisdom, that he isn't bolstering his own instruction, saying, "I'm not making this up." Yeah. My dad taught me. You know, sometimes when we're kids, when we're children and young people, we're a little more apt to listen to someone other than mom and dad. And you know, maybe maybe Solomon girds up his his teaching here with that. It's not just me that said this. This is this is Grandpa David, and you know all the stories about him. <laughs> yeah, good boy. 
fact is, we had to learn, and so we're passing that on. You know, it's not that parents were born with wisdom. They had to receive it and learn it and pursue it, and then they pass it on. Good point. Other thoughts? Makes you eager to know more wisdom, doesn't it? You know, find out more of what wisdom is really teaching us. And here's some of that, 10 to 19. Hear, my son, and accept my sayings, and in the years of your life will be many. I have directed you in the way of my wisdom, uh, in the way of wisdom. I have led you in the upright paths. When you walk, your steps will not be impeded, and you, if you run, you will not stumble. Take hold of instruction. Do not let it go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not proceed in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Do not pass by it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they do evil, and they are robbed of sleep unless they make someone stumble. For they eat bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of righteousness is like the light of dawn, that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. Alright, so here's what he teaches his son. And the first thing is, follow the path of wisdom. You know, I've directed you in this way. And look at 12 and 13. If you follow the path of wisdom, what will it do for you? Your will not be heated. What does that say? The, the next verse says you will not stumble. Or the next. Yeah. So if you follow wisdom, it'll give you sure footing. It will give you consistency. You can, you can develop a rhythm of walking and proceeding in your life. So you don't stumble over obstacles. You can have confidence. It'll just smooth out your life. You know, people who don't live by wisdom, it's just careening from one chaotic moment to the next. It's confusion, it's uncertainty, it's stumbling over all kinds of stuff. Wisdom really gives you life. And it just gives you a consistency in life. Now again, look at the idea here. In verses 10 and 11, accept these. I've directed you, I've led you. Now, this direction of leading is not imposing. It's guidance. Who decides whether the son will follow the path of wisdom or not? The son. You know, as young people sometimes we're like, I don't want mom and dad telling me what to do. Or even, I don't want God telling me what to do. I'm going to make my own decision. <laughs> well, hey, listen. You are going to make your own decision. Period. We do that. You get old enough, there's nobody going to make your decision for you. You're going to make your own. Now you're going to decide rebelliously to do something selfish and foolish. Or are you going to decide wisely to do what godly parents say to do what the Lord himself says? You make the decision. Deciding to rebel or deciding to follow wisdom, they're both your decision. You're going to make the choice. Nobody's going to make you do the right thing ultimately. You know, even 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 smaller children, I can't remember the exact uh, way the illustration was given, but it doesn't matter. But, but you know, the, uh, the, the eight-year-old that, that's, you know, being made by his parents to sit down and, and finally they just imposed that but he said well I'm still standing up in my mind <laughs> you know <laughs> I mean you can decide whether to submit or not even when you're eight you may have to sit down but you may still be standing up in your mind <laughs> you know so it's a choice and just choosing 
to do something different than what God says doesn't mean now I'm choosing. No, if you, if you decide to do what God says, you're choosing also. You're just choosing more wisely. <laughs> you're choosing in a way that's going to give you less obstacles in your life. Comments and thoughts through verse 13. Well, look at what he says not to do. What's, what are you not supposed to do starting in 14? Enter the path of the wicked. Don't go down the wicked man's road. Now, how many times did he say that in 14 and 15? Do not enter, do not proceed, avoid, do not pass by, turn away, pass on. I mean, wow, he just pushes that a lot. wonder why he says that so much. about the way of wicked. Why keep saying, don't go there, don't go there, don't go there, don't go there, don't go there? It's a punishment. It's a bad place to be. It's a punishment. And aren't we being, isn't it easy to go there? Isn't there a lot of influence wicked people have? You know, I mean, it, it seems to me like he's saying there's a lot of danger. He's really worried that his sons are going to go in the wrong way. In fact, what does he say? Do not enter the path. Don't even take a step in the way of the wicked. Because once you enter the path, I don't know. You ever been on a muddy hill? <laughs> what happens? Starts sliding. You just kind of end up at the bottom pretty quick, whether you wanted to be there or not. That's the way it goes. You enter the path of the wicked. Uh oh. You may not be able to get back up. Stay away from it. That's what he's saying. Because after the first step, you may not be in control anymore. You know, young people tend to be really naive about their power to resist. Well, I can do this. It's not going to bother me. You know, I can go to this party where they're doing a lot of drinking and carrying on. I'm, and I'm not going don't, to. Don't worry about me. I, I wouldn't do that. Well, why did you go? Why did you enter the path of the wicked? If you weren't wanting to do the things of the wicked, you think, oh, I can handle this. Well, Solomon thought, if you don't enter, then you won't go down there. That's the best advice. Send sort of like a whirlpool that just sucks us under. Or quicksand. The safe course, avoid it. Stay away from it. There's real danger in the way of the wicked. <laughs> Do you see that? Does that make sense? <laughs> it really is that way. Has there, ever, has there ever been a time in your life you were determined you weren't going to do something <laughs> and then you were hanging around head and you did it anyway? Has that ever happened to you before? Maybe it's something that's not even immoral. But the influence, the pressure, the, the surroundings, you just kind of did something you were you had decided you weren't going to do. So stay away. He said, because they're obsessed on it. They're compulsive evil, evil doers. Look at verse 16. They can't sleep on it. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it's an obsession with them. You know, they're, they're just so addicted that they eat the bread of wickedness. They drink the wine of violence. I mean, they're just like an animal with the taste of blood. I mean, they're just crazed. Don't you know there are people like that? You know, have you ever been around some people that's like all they could think about was wickedness? It's like just everything to them? Stay away from them is what he's saying. Because by contrast, Verse 18 and 19, the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn. It just shines brighter and brighter till the full day. That's what you want? Going in that path that just gets brighter. The way of the wicked is like darkness. They don't know what they stumble over. Do you want to be in the way of darkness, or do you want to be in the way that every step you go, it gets brighter and better? 
follow the path of wisdom. Comments and questions? Right here, you brought up the point how these wicked people, they can't sleep unless if they're doing something bad. And so, but I think that's really cool because in the last chapter, uh, it talks about how the righteous, they sleep well. You know, they're comforted. And it's because of their, their resting in God. And I don't know, I just think it's a really cool contrast because it shows the difference of hearts that it's in the right place and it's in the wicked. And, you know, if you take comfort, well, I mean, it just, it shows what you take comfort in. That's where your heart is at. You know, if you take comfort in all these wicked immoral things, you know, if that, if that gives you joy or happiness, that's a bad look to me. It is, isn't it? <laughs> it works equally opposite in the other direction, too. Good point. Yeah, good, good contrast, good observation. Uh, going back to the path we're on, uh, we'll get to this later in Proverbs, but in chapter 7, I've seen the man in that shoal, not necessarily going intentively towards her house, but he's on her path and, and going towards her house. I think we often in our lives are just strolling. We aren't really attentive to where our, our steps are leading us where we're going. I think we need to be focused on that. We see how things affect who we are and what we are. But we can't just be strolling. But we need to have a purpose in where we're going and that I'm going to go down this path because this is where I want to be and this is who I want to be. Instead of just going through life saying, it's okay, I'm not, you know, I'm a good person and so these things aren't going to affect me so we're just out there walking around. But we need to be going down very good point. Yeah, we'll get in trouble we haven't got a particular place we're going. We just have to watch the animal around us. Then, you kind of admire the devotion on these movies. I think a lot from them. This from their devotion. You read about that they can't sleep unless they do evil. I mean, turn that around. Uh, and kind of follow up on, on Patrick's comment. You know, how many times do we lose sleep because, wow, I didn't have a Bible day? Or, wow, I didn't talk about the Lord? Um, it talks about they, they eat um, the bread of wickedness. It's kind of like food for them. It's like it's a nourishment. It's what keeps them alive. It's that kind of constant thing. You know, turn around. You put this other coin. You know, for us, it is the Word of God is the relationship with God. something that nourishes us. something that we need to survive on. I mean... Even though the, the wickedness are filled up with these, these evil things and, and the bad things, I mean, I think we can learn from the level of devotion um, to what it is they're obsessed with. That's the point Jesus made the parable of the unrighteous steward in Luke 16. Yeah. We, we ought to have more devotion for the Lord than they have for evil. And that's, uh, that would take a lot. Because <laughs> they are devoted to evil, right? Yeah, I just remember a story. Apparently, some lady worshiping another church, I guess, one time was, she's just a lady that could always find a, a good at someone, you know what I mean? Someone, so someone went to her and was just giving her a hard time, just asking her, what about this person, what about this person? And then finally, I guess they said, well, what about Satan? And she said, We'd all be better servants of the Lord if we work as hard as Satan does. So, you know, so, I mean, well, you got to think about that one, but you know what I mean. So, I was, I was working as hard. I think it's wrong idea. Yeah, 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 so, but yeah, if we work as hard as he does, then yeah, we'd all be better. All right, can we? Going along with what Dan said about staying up during the night, not doing evil, but doing God's will, like we haven't. And in Psalm 119, verse 55, it says, Oh Lord, I remember your name in the night, and I keep your law. We need. Not to be staying up doing evil, but if we haven't read our Bible that day, we haven't studied, or we haven't prayed to God enough that day, or we just have something expressed in We need to be staying, remembering, remembering Him in the night. Good point, Cass. Yeah, and sometimes, you know, I think we see sin, and, you know, we tell ourselves, well, I'll go do it just for just a minute. Or... You know, or I'll accidentally look at something, or I'll accidentally stay for this party. It's something we kind of trick our minds to thinking that. And, you know, and also, I think it says somewhere in Proverbs that when we see things like this, we need to run. We don't need to walk, but we need to run. Good point. Absolutely. Hello. Other thoughts? Bob? 
just just for everybody to come along the line with who's talking about is I think it was Josh on doubt. He had something in one of his books, and I was it's sketchy to me now that he talked about this kind of like a poison pill he can take and not die. Or you can use the you know, rat poison or anything you wanted to. Just wonder how much bigger dose I can take and not kill me. That's that's how we are with sin. We play tag with it. We run over and touch it and run away, and we still think we're doing okay. And then you know, a few days later, we run over and we touch it again. And this advice that Solomon gives his sons here, he says, run, you know, break and run, get turn away, get away from it, don't play tag with it. Excellent point. That's exactly right. That's where he's saying, do not enter the path. You know, don't don't run over and touch it. And uh, it's a great great concept. How much poison can you take and it not kill you? Sometimes that's exactly what we're trying to figure out. You know, what does that show you if you're trying to get as much evil as you can and still not be lost? Wow, that's that's having a heart that wants the wrong thing. You know, if we love God, if we understand wisdom, we want to be as far away from those things as we can. You know, just, you know, how much, uh, you know, I don't know, I suppose you could take in, you know, a certain uh, amount of, you know, uh, real bad garbage, you know chicken manure or whatever. You could probably eat a certain percentage of that and then not kill you. Might even be able to eat a little bit of it and it not make you sick. I don't know. How much of it do you want to eat? It's like, whoa. I don't know if there's some part of it I could eat and not kill me, but I don't want a bit of that. Why do we want any wickedness? It ought to be something that was like, well, if I found out I could do a little bit and not kill me, I don't want to do it. It's repulsive to me. Josh, no, just got you fed up. Clint. I just have a question that really poses the same idea and the concept. You know, how many of God's commandments can we disobey and still get into heaven? Yeah. Answer's none. Yeah. And how many of God's commandments would we like to disobey? Now, how many evil things do we want to do? You know, how much garbage do you really want to eat? Well, none. You know, why do we want to do any evil? Why do you want to get close to it? You know, why, why do you want to take, you know, garbage and, and kind of put it up to your mouth? You know, why, why do you want to lick it? Yeah, smell it, yeah. It's, it's repulsive. We've got to get to where we love wisdom and righteousness and we hate wickedness. It's disgusting. It's repulsive. We don't want to be close to it. Along these lines is that we can fall into the trap of rationalizing our sin. We probably say, oh, it's just a little sin. But when it comes down to it, we have to acknowledge that sin is sin. And it's certain with disaster if you go and even mingle with it a little bit. And that's why I think in 14 and 15 we counted six ways that he said don't even go near it. Because we have to flee, flee the immorality of the world and we got to stay pure. Amen. Sorry. Um, kind of with the point that you were making about how often how sin should be repulsive to us. Um, and I think we often become, become comfortable um, around uh, people who are sinful, um, be it in school or in you know other places, to where things that they're doing or things that they're talking about really don't have an effect on us as they should. Uh, we should hear those things. They should be repulsive to us. That we should totally want to be away from those things. But we become comfortable since we're in that atmosphere. A lot. We become comfortable with it, and even though we aren't necessarily partaking, it it, it doesn't have a repulsive feeling inside us. Yeah, you're exactly right. I, I see it sometimes with guys, and and guys, you can think about this. You know who. Oh, you can do this, you know, in real life too, but just think about it on the internet. You know, okay, so I'm not going to look at the pornography on the internet. Well, so I'm going to look at these things that are considered in normal sites that are 
still scantily clad women, I'm still thinking lustful thoughts. But you see, it's not. It's not pornography. What in the world are we thinking? What are we doing when we do things like that? You know, it's like, we're rationalizing. How can I get the same effect but not do something that, that is supposed to be really wrong? It's all kinds of ways we do that. You know, we're trying to get just as close as we can. The truth is, we usually get way over the line. But we're saying we really haven't gone over that. And I've talked to several guys who are like, you know, I've rationalized because it's really not the bad stuff and so I think it's okay. Well, it's not okay if what it's doing in my mind is making me honest. You know, we got to really be serious about avoiding do not pass by it, turn away from it, pass on. I mean, like, no, not even close. Get, you know, it's like, a, I, I don't know, I think I've used this illustration before, but, but, you know, I know, when I was a little boy, they talked about eclipses, and like, if you look at the sun during the eclipse, it'll blind you. Well, the truth is, you know, you know why that is. It's like, you know, you don't squint and things because you're not seeing the full light of the sun, but it still has those other rays, and so if you just stare at it for a long time, it will burn your eyes or whatever. I don't know. Please don't do that at home. But, but, but <laughs> the, the truth is, the truth is you could glance up there and it's not going to hurt you. But I heard it's going to blind you. And man, I was so determined on the days when there were eclipses. You know, I didn't even look. I didn't look anywhere. It was on the ground. You know. Well, I mean, that was a little overkill. But, but boy, I didn't have any eye problems because of eclipses. You know. <laughs> We need that kind of attitude towards sinful things. Where we're just so much trying to avoid them that, that we're just, you know, almost radically avoiding them. It's so much safer for us. It's so much better. So much wiser. Bob? James said, you know, he tells us in chapter 1, he says, we're, we, we're tempted when we're drawn away by our own desires. And, you know, I find every reason in the world to say, oh, look, this happened to me and that happened to me. And, you know, well, I put myself in that situation. Just like you. I need to put a bag over my head if there's an eclipse, if that's a problem for me. Okay? That's the poison pill. That's what we all deal with. And it doesn't go away when you're teenagers. You'll deal with it all the days of your life. You just bring it under control by being in subjection. This might have happened. Amen. Yes, exactly. Kevin? In verse 19, it says, The way of the wicked is darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. It, we, if we walk into the darkness, if we walk into the way of the wicked, we're going to stumble. We're going to fall. We, I'm not doing anything. I'm just being with them, and then all of a sudden we trip over something. And then we're in it. We're innocent. Yeah. Be warned. Right? Like that example you gave about the computer. When if we even are on one of the dumbest earlier in your point, but I mean, when, when, even if we're on just some website that just has a little bit of something shown, I don't know. I mean, yeah, that's taking that first step into the evil path, and it doesn't take long before you to put another step forward, and another step forward until you're into deep, and you're like, what have I got myself into? You know what I mean? And it's just that one first step. It, why do we separate ourselves from our God? And it goes back to the desire. It's like, you wouldn't eat hardcore garbage. What about softcore garbage? What about just, you know, not totally spoiled food, just semi-spoiled food? Partially molded. Yeah, partially molded, not totally gross. You know, hey, I don't know about you, but I don't want to get close to that stuff. You know, it's like, you know, I have no desire for that. If I think it's, it's bad, I don't touch it. If I think it's it's been contaminated with some kind of filth, and I would say, well, it's not totally filthy. It is sort of kinda. Well, I don't want it. You know, I'm kind of picky about things like that. You know, it's our desires. When we want to do wrong, we'll rationalize it. When we want to do right, we'll stay away from wrong. Josh, I think you know we keep making the point of you know we'll go in. But, but I think we need to really see that they aren't small things. Uh, they aren't, it's not any less than doing something really bad. 
they all have the same, they all put us in the same state with God. Um, and therefore, they bear the same penalty. Um, whether we see them as being bigger or small than each other. I think we need to be sin is sin, period. That's true. And, you know, see, the, even this thing that we think might be small, it has the same effect on our state with God as this thing does. Good point. Yes? And going on with John said, we sometimes it's wrong, but we feel comfortable with little lies or something that we don't think is a big deal, but yet when we do something like drugs or something on the internet, we feel so bad afterwards. But just like John said, it's all the same thing, and you know, it's just like First John five seventeen says, you know, all unrighteousness is sin. So we have to realize that sin is serious, no matter what sin we do. I think a part of that is because of, well, it's because, like, like my environment, I wasn't raised in a you know, Christian family or anything, and I mean, my mom would always say, like, tell me to tell a little white lies, you know, quote, unquote. I mean, just because uh, people in the world don't see things the way God sees things, I mean, and, and my mom would always rationalize saying it's just a block for just a little white lie, you know, I mean, she tells my grandma, or she, she told me to tell my grandma a lie or something. Said, it's not like a real lie. It's why I'm like, and so growing up, I thought I thought there were differences, and now I'm a Christian. I'm like, it's all lies. I mean, you know, so it's just, yeah, a lot of it's environment too, and the way that we're taught by who we're talking. With, so, Jim, I think a really difficult place to apply this concept is in our music and our movies. It's really hard. No, <laughs> the steak is has a bad spot on it. I'm gonna steal the steak. <laughs> Good thing to think about, guys. What about our music and our movies? You know, how much uh, how much sin are we willing to tolerate? How, how much do we want to be entertained by things that turn us off? You know, I would not find it entertaining even to watch somebody eating filth. It would gross me out. Why doesn't it gross us out when we see a bunch of garbage, when we're hearing a bunch of garbage, when we're hearing sin glorified, and yet God abominates sin? You know, why, why is it attractive to us? Why is it entertaining to like to hear or see a bunch of stuff that God detests? Very good application. Sometimes we're just desensitized to it. You know, you get so used to hearing stuff, it's almost like we don't acknowledge it anymore. And wouldn't, and isn't that weird? Can, could you get desensitized to eating garbage? I suppose you might be able to, but whoa. Wouldn't that be horrible? That's not, that's not where I want to go. Nicole? Uh, I think, like, something that we kind of rationalize or to, I don't know, it kind of goes along with everything. We as Christians, a lot of times, we just try to be a little bit better than the world. And, I, I mean, I really see it in, like, modesty, for example. Like, you know, ever, people are very, very immodest these days, and you can get away with wearing practically nothing. And so we as Christians, I think a lot of times when you see even Christians, like, you know, wearing immodest stuff, but it's better than what everyone else is wearing, you know, it's, it's more modest than everyone else, so it's okay. But, I mean, our standard isn't just to be a little bit better than the world. I mean, we, our, shouldn't, our graph shouldn't be like this, going up and down as the world goes up and down. But it should be constant. And, and I think that's something that, in all that areas that we do, you know, we kind of just try to stay a little bit better than everyone else. And it's definitely not the right attitude. Yeah, we need wisdom standards, God's standards, not just to step ahead of the world standards. Really good discussion, good applications, right? Um, sometimes we'll fool ourselves with movies, you know, thinking that, um, you know, we're, we're saying like, oh, well, he didn't need to say that, or, you know, oh, why they got to put that in there? You know, they're so, they're always having to throw filthy stuff in movies and make them popular, but we're still sitting there and watching it. <laughs> I mean, it's like, you know, we're sitting and protesting. Just stop protesting and turn it off. Save the wind. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You hate supporting 
you know, those things. Uh, you know, I mean, would you want a young Christian watching the movie with you? You know, a young, weak Christian. That might be something to think about because they may find out you watched it. And they may say, well, Brian watched it, probably okay for me. You know, it's a lot of things to think about. And again, I mean, his principle, don't enter the path. Righteousness. 
See why I call it the anatomy of righteousness? Now, lots of uh, body parts in this. And all of the members of our body are to be employed in the service of God. Um, it talks about the organs of receiving things. For example, in verse 20, what organ does he discuss? The ear. And uh, what should we do with our ear? Yeah, listen to? The sayings. Yeah, the sayings of wisdom. Listen to the words of God. That's what we need to do with our ears. And then in the first part of verse 21, what does he deal with? We need to be looking at what? The message. The message of wisdom. And then in the latter part of 21 through 23, what's he talking about? <coughs> what body organ? The heart. A heart. And uh, that, uh, what are we supposed to do with our heart? Guard it. Guard it and keep the sayings of wisdom where? In verse 21. The middle of our heart. You know, not on the periphery. Not just superficial, but right there in the middle of our heart. You know, where they really control our thinking and our actions. Their life, their health, they'll bless us. So we need to receive with our eyes, our ears, and guard in our heart God's word. And we've got to watch over our heart. We've got to guard it, because um, it's a source of life, and, and it requires constant maintenance. We're not careful, these principles of wisdom will slip away from us. So we've got to keep, keep, keep watching. So that's, we're supposed to use everything we've got to receive and retain wisdom in 20 to 23. Comments and questions about that. But Jesus said... Uh, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh, and that which proceeds forth from the mouth comes from the heart. So I think a really critical question we need to be thinking about, you know, are we careful about what goes into our hearts? So critical. What we've got inside of us makes such a huge difference. Absolutely. He goes from these receiving organs to the active organs. Verse 24, what does he speak about? Which is an index of what's in our heart. And uh, when we have deceitful, devious speech, it tells you what our heart's like. We've got to be pure and honest in what we say. Think about that. We're um, so, so easy for us to speak dishonestly and dishonorably. And that, we've got to get completely away from us. And then in 25, what does he deal with? Eyes. And what do we have to do with our eyes? <laughs> Look straight. Straight at the goal. Single focus, undivided attention. On the Lord, on wisdom, on His will. Not being distracted by all the other stuff that the devil wants to turn aside and look at. What was Eve's first step toward the fruit after the conversation with the, with the serpent? What did Eve do? Saw. Saw. Started with looking at that fruit. What did she see about it? It was good. Look good. Delightful. Yeah. See, what, that, that's what happens.
happens. We start looking at things that we shouldn't. We start, they gain our attention. We start savoring them. We start desiring them. We can't let things turn our eyes toward them. Especially long things, sinful things. You know, Achan. Remember what sin Achan committed? What did he, what sin did he commit? He took the treasure from Jerusalem? Not Jerusalem. Jericho. Jericho. Yeah. And the God had said nobody was... Well, he had the first three letters right. See? But the God had said don't, don't take any of this spoil for yourself. And the text in Joshua 7 said he looked at it. And then he covered it. And then he took it. And then he hid it. But it started with the look. And uh, we all think about David. You know, how he saw, you know, there was, he looked at her. So we've got to really keep our eyes straight ahead of us, right where they belong on the Lord, on his will, and not distracted by sinful, worldly things around us. And then 26 and 27 deals with what? Our feet. And where do they need to go? Where do you want your feet? Straight. Straight. On the path of God. Not to the right and not to the left. One false step could be fatal. So, keep your feet, keep your life right where it belongs. Comments and thoughts on this uh, anatomy of righteousness. So it's interesting how it talks about um, looking straight ahead. We think of tunnel vision as like it has a negative connotation sometimes, but when we're dealing with our faith, it has to be in single focus. Um, Christ said in Luke 9 62, no one put his hand in the palm looking back to strip for the kingdom of God. So we, we're always looking for, we're always looking to work for that ultimate goal of getting to heaven. We don't. Because there's so much we can encounter in our daily lives that we can, it can uh, change our focus. But we, it's all bad and straight ahead to heaven. Exactly. Good point. Other thoughts? I can't help but think of what he said in Matthew 7, 13, 14. Like, uh, looking there. Yeah, I mean, just, as I was talking about, just staying straight. Don't wander off. You know, I mean, don't go off on these other paths. Stay straight. Lesson number six 